All right, let's get after it. If you have a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is where we'll be. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback in the seat in front of you. It's good to see you guys again. Feels like much longer than a week. Uh, I'm a little codependent on you guys. Um, lots happened since this past week. You might not know this, but I'm actually a, uh, now I am at least an accomplished athlete. Okay, so yesterday I did a uh, 5K obstacle course in the mud and uh, meddled, all right, so right here. Now they gave this to everybody, so I don't know if that uh, takes away from the, the uniqueness of it here. It's kind of like when you're fishing and you can't catch anything and so someone else catches it and gives you the pole. All right, and you're like, well, I, I know I didn't catch that, okay. They give the middle one, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then last week, while uh, Michelle's reading for us, I was at a, a middle school retreat, which is always a good time. Um, a couple uh, hundred middle schoolers coming together to worship and, and be able to speak some truth in their lives. Uh, middle schoolers are a lot different from other venues uh, of people that you would speak to. Middle schoolers are very willing and able to give you feedback. They can give you real immediate feedback, too. Uh, if you're not holding middle schoolers' attentions, you know it right away because they're going to be talking and saying stuff like, uh, doing stuff like that, being distracted. A couple years ago, I was speaking to a middle school group, and at some point, I don't even remember what I was saying, but I made some sort of like rhetorical statement. I asked this question. I said, I mean, am I right? And there's this little boy, I'll never forget, sitting like second row, and he goes, probably, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, well, one person is almost with me. Uh, probably, you're the adult, why would you lie to us? Um, and middle schools are fun because awesome. as excited as you are, they'll be excited, right? And so if you get up and you're like, who wants to read the Bible? And you just act like it's like a game show, then they're all going to like screaming, right? And the girl's like, ah, ah real high-pitched scream. And the boy's like, ha, ah, real high pitch, because I haven't hit puberty yet in middle school. All right, so they're still kind of all on the same level there. So all that to say, I want a little bit of interaction this morning, all right, because I'm used to, I'm trying to transition into, um, from last week with the middle schoolers, back to you guys, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Because the text that we're going to be in this morning in Acts 15, so if you're a visitor with us, I want to welcome you. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor here. We've been walking through the book of Acts, okay? And so we're picking back up. We took a few weeks of a break from the book of Acts. We're picking back up where we left off in Acts chapter 15. Um, And the text that we're going to be in this morning, as we kind of get our, our, our feet under us again in the book of Acts, is one of those texts that's really hard for you and I to read and, and, and kind of comprehend and kind of feel the weight and the gravity of. Um, it's one of those texts that, that you might be able to understand how that was important back then, but it's hard to kind of understand the importance today. So I want to do a little bit of role playing, okay? I want to do a little bit of, of trying to get into that mindset this morning, okay? So I'm going to divide the room up right now. And you over here, congratulations, you did not know this, but you guys are Jews, okay? This morning, you guys are Jews. The rest of you guys are Gentiles, Okay, so y'all are the minority here. Y'all are Jews and y'all are Gentiles. And I want to get into our minds here. The big divide that exists right now between you guys and you guys. Okay, on multiple levels, you have this big divide going on between the two of you. And what happens with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus, is going to be radical and going to be very shocking. Uh, uh, It's going to be called a scandal to people, what happens um, with the gospel of Jesus Christ with these two groups. So the first kind of division that separates you guys from you guys is a religious division. You worship different gods, okay? And so this group over here would say this prayer every day over and over and over again. So repeat after me, okay? Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Chad. Very good. These good, faithful Jews over here, okay? They're praying the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, it's this prayer. Hear, let's remind ourselves. Hear, Israel, 
The Lord is our God, Adonai el He's our God. He's chosen us. We're in a relationship with him. He's decided to save us and to bless us, to, to choose us, to use us. And the Lord is one, Adonai Echad. There's one. The one God who created the entire world has chosen us, the Jewish people, Israel. And then over here on the Gentile side, y'all don't pray that prayer. Y'all don't pray the Shemar. Sorry to, sorry to tell you this. Um, y'all are just really confused. Y'all are, y'all are all over the place, okay? Y'all are just kind of murmuring and making sounds and things like that. Um, there's really nothing for y'all to do, okay? Y'all are kind of lost, kind of blind and kind of out there. And so there's all these different gods y'all are worshiping. There are all these different things and rituals and sacrifices that you're making. And then you've got these people over here saying, no, there's one God, the God who created everything, and we're his people. Y'all are not his people. Y'all are worshiping all these other gods. You're so lost and confused. The Shema Yisrael. Here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and he's chosen us. So there's this religious divide between this group of people and this group of people. Y'all are separated in that sense. Now, there's also kind of a, a racial divide, okay? The Jewish people, Israel, was, was kind of an ethnic group, kind of a race. And so think back to maybe the, the time period when, when there's slavery in the United States and kind of that civil rights movement. And the, you have the blacks and the whites, and you have this kind of sense of moral superiority on the basis of race, and it might work both ways here. This group looks at this group and thinks just by who we are biologically, we're, we're better than you are. And this group looks at this group and goes, just by who you are, we're, we're better than you. And there's cultural divide between this group and this group. In the same way that, that maybe you and I would be culturally divided from someone coming from Africa or someone who is from Asia, okay? We think about things differently. We view different topics and different issues differently. It's hard for us to understand how the brain, the mind, the heart works of that other person. And then there's a moral difference between the two groups of people. The Jewish people didn't do certain things that the Gentiles did because they thought it was just not acceptable. They didn't do things that other people did. In fact, we know that around the time of the New Testament, there's this legend being perpetrated um, by the Jewish people. Um, There's a saying that goes, in the house of a Gentile, under the floorboards, are dead babies. Okay. Now, probably not. Okay. If we're just being good historians, there's probably not dead babies under the houses of the Gentiles who went to the average house. But that's the kind of moral discussion that you had, right, when you looked at this kind of group. Surely you can see that when, when human beings divide, they start to demonize the other side, right? I mean, we don't need to look far to, to see that. Democrats, Republicans, right? People that, but that normally, right, if you didn't know their political opinion, you would think, pretty good person. I can get along with them, we'd enjoy them, right? But then you talk about their political position, um, Democrat or Republican, and you use these vile words, right? How could anyone believe that? They're destroying our world, they're destroying America, things like that. It's like, well, that's your neighbor, right, who you talk to when you, you mow your lawn, things like that. I was driving to church this morning, and I uh, saw a car. And it had a, it was very clear, it had a Romney, it had a Romney Ryan sticker on it uh, a while ago. It had that sticker on it, and someone had put an Obama-Biden sticker on top of it. But it looked like, I'm trying to recreate the narrative, it looked like the, it was like a joke, or like a prank, or like an act of vandalism, I don't know, a hate crime, putting this Obama-Biden sticker on it, because they tried to scratch it off. So you could see the Romney and Ryan sticker. And I was like, I don't know what's happening there, but I like it. <laughs> Yeah, something is going on there with this kind of division. We're, we're dividing between the political parties. 
they're going back and forth, the war of the bumper stickers, okay? Um, but yeah, when groups divide, you kind of perpetrate these, these kind of moral legends. And the Gentiles thought the Jewish people were just as kind of morally disgusting. When things went wrong in a Gentile society, they would blame the Jewish people. Because y'all aren't worshiping the gods who control and, and control our fate and our destiny and things like that. You have two groups that are opposed to each other. You would not sit with them. They would not sit with you. You would not think they're worthy of salvation. You would not think they're worthy of salvation. And what we've seen through the book of Acts, as we've been walking through it, is, is in Acts chapter 1, Jesus resurrects and he ascends into heaven. And he says to the disciples in Jerusalem, these Jewish disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify about the truth of the resurrection, about the truth of God's grace given through Jesus, through all of the world. And so they start in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them as God's promises are being fulfilled among the Christian community. And they start to perform these signs and these miracles. They start to go testify and be witnesses about Jesus, about his resurrection. And people are being saved. And slowly but surely, you're starting to see Gentiles filter into the church in these rare but shocking kind of occasions. And it's only a matter of time before, like, tectonic plates, something erupts. And we all need to sit down and figure out how exactly this is going to work. Because y'all don't like them. And they don't necessarily get along very well with you guys. But there's a few people like Paul and Barnabas who want you guys to sit down together at a table and celebrate the resurrection together. And in Acts chapter 15, you see these tectonic plates rub up against each other, okay? And so again, I think it's hard for us to really understand how monumental this is. But this was a huge shifting point in the life of the church, all right? So let's read together in Acts chapter 15. It's called the Jerusalem Council. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all of the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up, and they said, It is necessary to circumcise them and in order for them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so we've seen this uh, uh, hints of this before, but now it's kind of reaching ahead. Some believers from the Jerusalem church. So at this point, you've got two big churches, the Jerusalem church and the church in Antioch. The Jerusalem church is the Jewish church. The church in Antioch is the center of the Gentile mission, the center of the Gentiles who are becoming believers. And some people are coming from the Jerusalem church, and they're coming over and seeing what's happening with the Gentiles. And they're not upset that the Gentiles are being saved. What they're upset about is that they're being saved without becoming Jews, without becoming like the Jews, culturally, ethnically, as much as physically possible. You see, the Jews had gotten from God in Genesis 17 a sign of who's in the covenant and who's not. I think Michelle worked it out pretty well last week, but this idea of the membership badge, okay, circumcision. That's how you knew who was in the covenant, who wasn't in the covenant. This was the great sign. And these, these people from the group of the Pharisees came in after Paul and after Barnabas and said, hey, if you, if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be a part of the community, you can do that, but not as you are. Y'all are evil, evil, dirty people. You need to 
you need to get circumcised. You need to start adopting the laws of Moses. You need to clean out the babies from under your, your basement floors, right? <laughs> you, as you are, cannot be accepted. You need to become like us and look like us and talk like us and take on not just our moral and religious duties, but our cultural or ethnic duties. If you really want to be saved, if you really want to have fellowship with us. Now, Paul and Barnabas do not like this. Paul primarily. Paul, nothing gets him more fired up than somebody who's going to come in after him and tell his, his disciples to be circumcised, okay? So in, in Galatians, Paul will say, if you're so concerned about being circumcised, just cut it all off, right? He's going to say, just emasculate yourselves. If you're really concerned with chopping down there, just take it all away. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about anything, right? I mean, Paul gets furious about this. Paul gets his blood worked up, and he starts saying the type of things that later you're like, did I say that? Did I write that? Is that going in the Bible? Oh, man. Bummer. And so they come in behind Paul. Now, I love this, this phrase here in uh, chapter, or verse 2 in chapter 15. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Um, so let me translate this. They went after it, okay? They did not have a friendly chat about this. They had a, a, probably a chest-to-chest, toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe conversation. And they said, all right, here's what we need to do. We need to go to the Jerusalem church figure this thing out. What's going on here? Do Gentiles have to be circumcised? Do they have to become Jewish to be Christians? And so they head up to the church in Jerusalem, to the apostles. As they're going, they are sharing with the different churches along the way all the wonderful things God's done among the Gentiles. Seems like all the other Jewish churches are pretty happy about it. They're accepting them. They're saying, hey, this is great. They get up to the Jerusalem church. They're welcome. They're accepted. It's a good sign. But it doesn't take long before this group of, of Pharisees, Pharisaic believers, rises up and they say, whoa, 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 hold on. No, no, no. If Gentiles want to be part of the family, they need to become Jews. They need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So look at verse 6. It's called the Big Jerusalem Council. They're going to sit down and hash it out and come to a decision. And this decision is going to be very theologically important in terms of what we believe about God and salvation and historically important. I think sometimes we miss out on how weird it is that we're worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, if you would have gone back in history and tried to, like, explain that to an ancient person, that one day this would be one of the most dominant religions across all countries and races and languages. I mean, they would have just been so confused. You're talking about that, that thing that that weird one group of people does, that one tiny little race does, that's going to be a, a multicultural thing that's going to be, there's going to be these, this huge group of Gentiles worshiping. I mean, this is a, historically it's just a weird thing. And we miss out on that because it's, it's normal to us. But this is what's being decided on here in the church in Acts 15. So verse 6, the apostles and the elders, they were gathered together to consider this matter. Verse 7, and after there had been much debate, again, key words there, after there had been much debate, they'd gone over the points, they'd heard from both sides. Peter, one of the early leaders of the church, he's the one who preached the sermon at Pentecost, one of Jesus' inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Peter stands up and he says to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved to the grace of the Lord Jesus 
just as they will. So Peter um, argues from experience here. You'll remember in Acts chapter 11, Peter has a vision. Do you remember his dream? Peter has a dream, and in the dream, God tells him to, to kill some animals and to eat them. And Peter says, I'm not going to do that, God, because those are unclean animals. I haven't touched those animals my whole life. And God says, Peter, what I told you is clean, you don't call unclean. And then Peter gets invited to go to a Gentile's house. And in the back of Peter's mind is, well, there's, there's dead babies in the floorboard. I, I shouldn't go into that Gentile house. These are bad people. They're not God's people. But he had that dream. He goes, okay, maybe this is what maybe this is what's being referred to. And he goes to the Gentile's house, Cornelius. And Cornelius believes. He hears the gospel. He believes. He gets baptized, and he receives the Spirit. The Spirit falls on Cornelius and his family. The same Holy Spirit dwelling in Peter. And the Spirit of salvation. The Spirit of God, the personal power and presence of God residing in the believers. And Peter goes, what in the world has happened? A Gentile just got the Spirit, and he wasn't circumcised. And he didn't adopt the law of Moses. And Peter had this kind of worldview change in Acts chapter 11. He's going, guys, you heard the story, right? I mean, I've told you this before. You know what happened with Cornelius. And you know how we sat down and, and figured out, I guess it looks like we're all being saved by the grace of God through Jesus and the Spirit. I guess it doesn't depend on circumcision and the law and any sort of action or membership badge. I guess salvation is by grace and grace alone to all who would believe and be baptized. So Peter stands up among the council and says, hey, hey, don't forget what happened with me and Cornelius. I'm one of Jesus' inner three here. We, we don't need to be going back to this. And so then um, the assembly falls silent, verse 12. There's this big uproar. People are murmuring and debating. And Peter gets up and kind of clears his throat. He goes, let me, let me have the floor here for a minute. And after he talks, everyone's kind of looking around at each other, kind of silent. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul. And so Barnabas and Paul stood up and filled the silence. And they related to what signs and wonders, verse 12, that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And so I'm imagining they get up and start telling stories. Stories of their first missionary journey that we saw here right before Acts chapter 15. They say, we went to this town, and these Gentiles believed, and the Spirit fell on them. And they were speaking in tongues, and they were seeing miracles, and they were baptized. And, it, and they didn't have to be circumcised to do that. And they're telling them all these signs and wonders and miracles. And then after they had finished speaking, James replied. Now, this is the second time we've seen James in the book of Acts. James is the head honcho of the early Christian church. He is the big dog, okay? He is the key figure. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Not the disciple James, okay? Not James, the brother of John, one of the inner three. You have Peter, James, and John, who are kind of Jesus' main boys in the Gospels. This is the James who doesn't believe in Jesus when he's doing his ministry. This is the James who comes with his parents to try to get Jesus because they thought he was crazy, and this is the James who the resurrected Jesus shows up to after his resurrection and says, I wasn't crazy. And James becomes a pillar of the church. He becomes a leader of the Jerusalem church and probably, most historians think, the most important Christian of that time. He's probably the head guy in the early Christian movement. Legend about James is that he was so devout, his knees were calloused from praying. He'd kneeled, he, he would kneel so long every day that his, his knees had just formed these big calluses. James would represent kind of the, what you'd think of the conservative party. The Pharisees might be going, might be kind of relieved, like, okay, James is going to talk. James will talk some sense into them. This good Jewish man, this conservative 
leader of the Jerusalem church. James gets up and talks, and he says, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, so this is Peter. This is just Peter's Jewish name, Peter Simon. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it was written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, porneia, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So here's what James says. James says, all right, we've had Peter's experience. And the great thing about this is scripture confirms Peter's experience. And so James gets up and says, open up your Bibles. And he says, let's go to Amos chapter 9. And let's see that this was here in the plan all along. We had this group of people, yeah, and we were in this special covenant with God. And we had this sign of the covenant circumcision. There was nothing wrong with any of that. But all along there was a goal that we were going towards. Which was when God fulfilled his promises to us, they would be let in. They would be blessed. The world would be rescued. Think back all the way to, to Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, who, by the way, was a Gentile. When God calls him from a foreign country, Abraham was a Gentile who became a Jew. He was circumcised. When God called Abraham, the promise he made to him, Genesis 12, I'll bless you, I'll make you a great nation, I'll give you this land, so that you'll be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And James is going, if this is true, if it's true that right now, in the first century, if it's true that Jesus has fulfilled God's promises, that the time of salvation is happening, the kingdom is starting to come on earth as it is in heaven, then it means that Gentiles have a path into the God's family. And they're coming into God's family as Gentiles. They don't need to become cultural and ethnic Jews. They're Gentiles, and now they have a place in God's family. And James argues in the scripture. And then he says, but, but let's write to them one thing. And so people have been confused about this for a while. There's lots of debate about what he means by this. He says in verse 20, let's write to them to abstain by things of things polluted by idols. So things sacrificed to an idol. And then from sexual immorality, porneia, um, any time to elicit sexual action, from what's been strangled, so an animal that's been strangled would still have the blood inside of it. And then from blood itself, because he says every generation and every city, Moses is read, and so this, these laws are available. Now, there's two ways to read these verses. One is that James is making kind of a compromise here and saying they don't need to take up circumcision, but make them take up maybe some kosher food laws. The sexual morality one seems like an obvious one, okay? Um, but, but don't eat meat with blood in it. And don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, which is a very common practice. And don't eat meat that was killed with it strangled. It would still have blood in it. So some of these important kosher laws, because this would cause offense to the Jewish people that maybe is, is needless offense. Um, now, I wouldn't agree with that interpretation. The interpretation I would take with this would be seeing all of these commands, all of these prohibitions wrapped up in temple activity. 
and pagan temple activity, okay? So in, in the first century, um, what Gentiles would do when they worship is they'd go to these pagan temples or whatever god they were worshiping, and, and there was some kind of nasty stuff that went on at these pagan temples, and some nasty rumors about what went on at these pagan temples. And so you would come and you'd make these animal sacrifices, and sometimes there'd be these, these blood rituals, and we know that, that sometimes they'd strangle animals, and the idea <coughs> of strangling was as you strangled it, the breath of that animal, the life breath of that animal would come into the worshiper, Okay, and we know that lots of lots of lots of sexual morality went down at these pagan temples. They would come and, and meet together, have these big sexual kind of orgies. And there's one way to interpret this that, that's saying James is saying, okay, don't get circumcised, but they need to be sure that they're no longer living like the pagan Gentiles. They need to be sure that they're going to be morally set apart. Don't go visit these pagan temples anymore. And I think that makes more sense of what we see later on in other of Paul's letters. Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians, I don't care if you eat the meat that's been sacrificed to the idols. That's fine with me. Paul's going to say an idol is really nothing. I mean, we know that they don't exist. Who cares if that meat was sacrificed to them? There's not a them to be sacrificed to. But Paul's going to say, but don't go into the temple. Because you might have a brother or sister in Christ who watches you go into that temple and thinks it's okay for them to go into that temple. And they go in, and before they know it, they're in sexual morality, or they're worshiping that pagan god. You're going to cause them to stumble. Paul's going to say it's the venue that matters, not the menu. That's the kind of the catchphrase, right? It's venue, not menu. Paul's going to say if you go to someone's house, and they're serving you meat, and it's, you know it's been sacrificed don't make a big deal about it. Don't make a big deal about it. But don't, don't go into the pagan temple. And so James is saying, uh, uh, kind of like this, I think he's saying, hey, they don't have to become Jews and even if they're still Gentiles, that doesn't mean they're going to be immoral, horrible people, right? They can still follow and worship and be set apart. And then we're going to see what happens after this. Verse 22, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Um, so in the ancient days, this is how you would confirm that a letter was true, right? That Paul didn't like write this on his way back to Antioch. Right? They're going to send people to say, like, nope, this is what happened. This is James' signature. This is the letter that he wrote. And they sent Judas called Barsabas um, and Silas, leading men along the brothers, among the brothers, with the following letter. So we have actually the copy of the letter that was sent to them. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, Unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols." and from blood, and from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Very personal, touching letter here. <laughs> so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judy, uh, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. 
And so here you have the climatic moment in the church. And so what's going to happen in, in the rest of Acts, okay, we're kind of getting our feet right, uh, wet again in the book of Acts. So we'll gain some momentum as we come forward in the next few weeks. What's going to happen is the church in Jerusalem is going to disappear. And James and Peter are going to disappear. And all the emphasis for the rest of Acts will be on Paul and on the mission into Europe and eventually to Rome as the world's being turned upside down as Gentiles and foreigners are coming to believe and be transformed by the gospel. And it all happens right here in Acts 15. And to this day, the reason we're worshiping, the reason we have been grafted in, Paul says, into this Jewish covenant family is because God in Christ fulfilled his promises and has started to set up his kingdom right here on earth as it is in heaven. And you and I are invited into it. And you don't have to be circumcised. In fact, there's, there's nothing you have to do except to, to believe, to put your faith in Christ, to be baptized, to receive the Spirit. He accepts you as you are. All peoples, all groups, all tribes, all tongues. And then one of the major implications here from Acts 15 is this idea of fellowship. Who will you sit down and eat with? Because Paul wanted Jewish people to sit and eat with Gentile people. And Gentile people were unclean. And Jewish people were just weird. They didn't work on the Sabbath. They circumcised themselves. There's things about them that made the Gentiles wonder what was going on over here. But they would sit down around the Eucharist. And they would break bread, and the Jewish person would pass it to the Gentile person. And their fingers would touch as they passed the bread. And they would drink from the same cup of wine as they passed the wine. And they would sing the same songs together as they worshiped the risen Lord. And they were united as one people group. And Paul says, this is, this is the wisdom of God. This is his plan. There's a social program happening with the gospel. There's a social element. It's not just an individualized spiritual thing that's going to happen to us after we die. Right now, God is seeking to break down the walls that divide humanity. And what you do, how you do that is you need something to unite you. You need something to center yourself around. And so people have tried this in the past. I mean, if you think through some of the big world movements, this is what Alexander the Great is trying to do with Hellenization. He's trying to have this huge empire where people don't fight each other by saying, if we can all be Greek, if we can all be um, Greek philosophers and speak the Greek language and have the Greek culture, then maybe we can all get along. And this is why the Roman imperial cult, actually, why um, some of the Romans started worshiping the emperor was because Rome had such a huge empire, they had all these different gods, and they wanted to give everybody one god that they could all agree upon and worship to, and maybe that would unite the empire. But of course it failed, just like Alexander the Great's attempt failed, because they're, they're not worthy. I mean, they're, they're shadows of the reality, the parodies, the truth. Or the gospel, which God's breaking down the walls that divide humanity and bringing together one people around the table. That you and I, we extend fellowship, the hand of fellowship, not to those who look like us or talk like us or act like us, 
but to those who have faith in Christ. And we say, sit down at my table. You see, I think sometimes we get in this exclusive attitude where we get offended by things that maybe we shouldn't get offended by. And the moment you get offended, you lose your chance to influence. And you lose your chance for fellowship. At a certain point, you, you have to lay down some things and say, we're united by the cross. And I'll sit with you and I'll eat with you. I'll bring, bring two common um, modern day, I think, applications of this. And then we'll, we'll close. When we come back into Acts, things will start getting heated up. We'll start to get some pretty crazy stories. It'll be a good time. Um, but, but two things I think that this could still speak to today. One, I think racism. I think you've still got racism going on, and I think you've still got it going on in the church. The most segregated hour of the American life is Sunday morning, okay? God is not pleased by that. I pray often that you and I would start to be more and more diverse, okay? That we would lay down our cultural differences and we'd come together as a sign, right? If, if, the, if the goal, if the eschaton, if, if what we're going towards for eternity is people from all groups and tribes and nations in close contact with each other, worshiping together with one another, then we should start working towards that right now. And then... I mean, we'll just say this, and, and this will probably come up more and more as we get closer and closer. Partisan politics, right? We mentioned the, the bumper stickers. Republicans and Democrats, Romney and Obama. I think I've, I've said this before. You've got what we call in the business an eschatology problem when you get too wrapped up in politics. You've got a trust problem. Romney's not going to save America or the world. Obama's not going to save America or the world. And if they did, what would that say about our faith? I mean, if they, if they were able to do that, would that not undermine what we believe about Jesus and believe about the Spirit? We don't get too wrapped up in that. Politics are important. It's important to vote. It's important to be involved in the public sphere. But it's more important that a Democrat and a Republican sit side by side at the table, united around their faith in Christ, it's more important that we avoid dividing language, demonizing attitudes. And together, we come and we worship. We come and we proclaim the Lord's death. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for the, the scriptures that you've given us. We thank you for just the record, the story of the early church and the decisions they were able to come to and, and the way that the Spirit guided them and influenced them. We pray, Father, that that we would never have it lost on us, never have the, the significance of it lost on us, that we are included in your people, that we've been called sons and daughters. John says, First John, see how great the love is that, that we would be called sons and daughters of God, that we'd be brought into the family, Father. I pray that you would awaken us if we're not awakened, that, that it started 2,000 years ago, and right now it's still continuing, that, that salvation is here, and it's coming, and it's happening, and the kingdom is growing, and it's real, and it's bursting in among us, and that the Spirit is there to be experienced and to be shared and to work in our lives. Father, we pray that you would do that, and that you would open our eyes up, and that you would work powerfully in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would build unity in the church. We believe in one church, a holy church, an apostolic church, a Catholic church, a universal church. We pray that you would bring us together, that you would continue to break down the things that divide us, 
that by our fellowship we'd be assigned to the work that you're doing in rescuing and redeeming the world. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name that all God's people, they said, Amen. Amen.